turn in our Bibles then this evening to 1 Samuel in the chapter 19. 1 Samuel in the chapter 19. We'll read together from the verse 1 of the chapter and read a selection of verses down to the end. One Samuel in the chapter 19, beginning at the verse 1, and the Word of God says, And Saul spake to Jonathan his son and to all his servants that they should kill David. But Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted much in David, and Jonathan told David, saying, Saul, my father, seeketh to kill thee. Now therefore, I pray thee, take heed to thyself until the morning, and abide in a secret place, and hide thyself. And I will go out and stand beside my father in the field where thou art, and I will commune with my father of thee, and what I see that I will tell thee. And Jonathan spake good of David unto Saul, his father, and said unto him, Let not the king sin against his servant, against David, because he hath not sinned against thee, and because his works have been to thee word very good. For he did put his life in his hand and slew the Philistine. And the Lord wrought a great salvation for all Israel. Thou sawest it and did rejoice. Wherefore then wilt thou sin against innocent blood to slay David without a cause? And Saul hearkened unto the voice of Jonathan, and Saul sware, As the Lord liveth, he shall not be slain. And Jonathan called David, and Jonathan showed him all those things. And Jonathan brought David to Saul, and he was in his presence as in times past. And there was war again, and David went out and fought with the Philistines and slew them with a great slaughter, and they fled from him. An evil spirit from the Lord was upon Saul as he sat in his house with his javelin in his hand, and David played with his hand. And Saul sought to smite David even to the wall with the javelin, but he slipped away out of Saul's presence, and he smote the javelin into the wall, and David fled and escaped that night. Saul also sent messengers unto David's house to watch him and to slay him in the morning. And Michael, David's wife, told him, saying, If thou save not thy life tonight, tomorrow thou shalt be slain. Come down to verse 18. So David fled and escaped and came to Samuel to Ramah and told him all that Saul had done. And he and Samuel went and dwelt in Naoth. And it was told Saul, saying, Behold, David is at Naoth and Ramah. And Saul sent messengers to take David, and when they saw the company of the prophets prophesying, and Samuel standing as appointed over them, the Spirit of God was upon the messengers of Saul, and they also prophesied. And when it was told Saul, he sent other messengers, and they prophesied likewise. And Saul sent messengers again the third time, and they prophesied also. Then went he also to Ramah and came to a great well that is in Siku. And he asked and said, What are, or where are Samuel and David? And one said, Behold, they be at Naoth in Ramah. And he went thither to Naoth in Ramah, and the Spirit of God was upon him also. And he went on and prophesied until he came to Naoth in Ramah. And he stripped off his clothes also and prophesied before Samuel in like manner and lay down naked all that day and all that night. Wherefore, they say, is Saul also among the prophets? Ending our reading there at the verse 24. Now, we come uh, to seek to conclude this 
overview message, as it were, in the life of David. And two weeks ago, we began by looking at faith, not force, wins the day. Faith, not force, wins the day. And then also, of course, we looked at loneliness and how God has a lesson to teach, even through the lonely experiences that He permits in our lives in different seasons. And so, coming to this third point, we noted last week, and we mentioned it already, that the third lesson that we learn from the life of David, seeking to set in context all that precedes this giving of this next covenant that we come to, and as we seek to consider this man of God, the one who is described as being one after God's own heart, then the third lesson that we learn from the life of David is that there is a time to seek out the preacher. There is a time to seek out the preacher. Now, we seek to conclude it tonight, but I must say that it's probably more than likely that we'll fail in regards to our timekeeping tonight. And so, I trust that that won't be too big an issue with anyone in regards to that, because this is a very important subject and is a very worthwhile consideration, even as we come afresh to the Word of God in this evening hour. Undoubtedly, in the mind of some, and that point was announced either last week or indeed once again tonight, it may have been interpreted as a way of spotlighting the role that I hold within the assembly here, or indeed others who fill this pulpit as well. But I suggest to you that once we make our way through our considerations tonight, you will see that this has absolutely nothing to do with me, nor indeed anyone who stands behind this desk. Now, in order to understand this point, that there is a time to seek out the preacher, and indeed then to learn the lessons applicable to us from the life of David, we must begin by defining the term preacher as we have used it there in the point that we've made. And we seek to do so, of course, in light of the Word of God. Because if we were simply to define it within the culture in which we live or apply a secular understanding to that term, it automatically dictates, our, or dictates to us that our minds should be focused upon someone like myself who has that grave responsibility and indeed privilege of standing before the people of God in a setting such as this and proclaiming the Word of God week after week, time after time. But in order to define the term biblically, we must, of course, delve into the Word of God and understand even the Bible's teaching as to what it means to preach and also then as to what or who the preacher truly is. In order to do so, we begin in the book of Ecclesiastes. I ask you to turn to the book of Ecclesiastes in the chapter 1. What's interesting to note as we turn to this book is that the word Ecclesiastes is actually a Greek word from which we get our English word preacher. Almost all of the commentators agree that this is a book of Solomon's writings. And within this book, we encounter the word preacher seven times. Not all are applicable to our study tonight, but nevertheless, we look at two which are. And we begin then in Ecclesiastes in the chapter 1 and the verse 1. For the Bible tells us there, the words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. And automatically, it doesn't take a lot of uh, study to realize there that a preacher is he 
who delivers words. A preacher, according to the Word of God, is he who delivers words. No surprise, you may say. Well, keep on going in the book of Ecclesiastes and turn over to the chapter 12. The chapter 12, we come to the final chapter. And again, we're given a little insight into the Bible's definition of a preacher, into the role of a preacher, into the ministry of a preacher. Look there in the verse 8, and it tells us, Vanity of vanities, saith the preacher, all is vanities. And moreover, because the preacher was wise, he still taught the people knowledge. Yea, he gave good heed and sought out and set in order many proverbs. The preacher sought to find out acceptable words, and that which was written was upright, even words of truth. Here the Bible helps us understand that the preacher communicates words of wisdom. And so beginning at the book, uh, the start of the book of Ecclesiastes, where it confirms to us there that the preacher is he who delivers words. Well, what are those words to be? Well, here at the end of the book of Ecclesiastes, we're told that these are words of wisdom, words of instruction, words of correction, words of edification and encouragement, words of truth. Come into the New Testament and come to Romans in the chapter 10. Romans in the chapter 10. We come to a verse that's very often quoted from pulpits such as this. No doubt this is one that you've heard many times. Nevertheless, it's it's applicable even to the study that we engage in this evening. And read with me then in the verse 14 of the book of Romans, the chapter 10. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. Here we are told and instructed that the preacher plays a crucial role in opening the understanding of those who hear him, opening the understanding of those who hear him about someone or indeed something that they were previously ignorant about. Come back to the verse 1 of the same chapter. It says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. And here Paul highlights an ignorant people. Those who were ignorant to the claims of Christ, those who were ignorant to the truth of the gospel, those who were ignorant to the message that God has commissioned even him to share and declare. And so as the chapter continues, he asks the question, how can such, those who were ignorant, those who once knew nothing about Christ, knew nothing about the gospel of Christ, in this case the nation of Israel, when it comes to the finished work of the true Messiah, how can they understand, how can they hear, how can they come to a knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, except the preacher be sent to enlighten them? 
to open the mind of their understanding, to help them to see what they could not see before, to help them to perceive what they could not perceive before. Come across to 2 Timothy in the chapter 1. 2 Timothy in the chapter 1, and once more we see Paul's uh, instruction to a young preacher, but nevertheless, teaching applicable to what we are considering today, what the Bible defines as being a preacher, who the Bible defines as being a preacher. Read with me from the verse 8. He says, Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but be thy partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began, but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Whereunto I am appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles. And here Paul helps us to understand that the preacher is not only, as he describes in Romans chapter 10, one who plays a crucial role in the opening of the understanding of those who hear him, but he is also one who places a special focus, a primary focus, if you will, upon the preaching and the teaching of Jesus Christ. We'll come to one more reference. This is a final one that we turn to, but it's found in 2 Peter in the chapter 2. Because as we've been making our way through these scriptures, they've been building one upon another. The preacher is he who delivers words. The words that he delivers are words of wisdom, words of instruction, words of correction, words of edification and encouragement, words of truth. Truth that helps the hearer to become aware of someone or something that previously they were ignorant to. Truth that reveals the person and the finished work of Jesus Christ. We come to 2 Peter in chapter 2 and verse 4 and see there that if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into the chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment and spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly. And here we have exposed to us that the preacher's message communicates many things, there's no doubt about it, but an emphasis on righteousness, a call to repentance, a shining a spotlight on man's need, God's great provision, and indeed the punishment, the judgment that awaits if that repentance is not known. That's the theme of the preaching. That's the theme, that's the work, that's the ministry of the preacher according to the Word of God. Now, all of this helps us, surely, to understand this. The preacher, according to God's Word, has a unique and a distinct identity. The Word of God, we see various men raised up by God in various generations and given the responsibility to communicate a message from God to the people of their generation. And as we make our way through Scripture, we see that the Bible attaches various labels to them, such as a herald, a messenger, a prophet, a preacher, a teacher, a man of God, a minister, an evangelist, an apostle. 
And these are all labels that are attached to those who have been sent by God, commissioned by God, to go and to deliver a message, go and deliver words unto a people. But surely as we've made our way through those various scriptures, and then as we think in our minds just for a moment as to some uh, suggestions of preachers, of apostles, of heralds, of messengers that are found in the Word of God, we come to this conclusion, and I trust we're all in agreement that all the men that Scripture uh, labels as such and indeed uh, highlights as being those sent from God, that nevertheless they did not in any instance fulfill all that the Scripture reveals about being the work and the ministry of the preacher. Now, we could also delve into history books. We could consider the lives and the ministries of men such as Luther, John Huss, C.H. Spurgeon, George Whitfield, John and Charles Wesley, Jonathan Edwards, John Knox, Jonathan Goforth, J.C. Ryle, Phillips Brooks, Matthew Henry, G. Campbell Morgan, Martin Lloyd-Jones, Christmas Evans, Harry Einside, William Booth, R.A. Torrey, Leonard Ravenhill, Ian Paisley, Willie Mullen, W.P. Nicholson. But together they all, whilst being preachers, would not yet still be a perfect model of the preacher as revealed in the Word of God. And that is because a biblical understanding of the preacher leads me to the conclusion that the preacher is none other than the Holy Spirit of God Himself. It's the Holy Spirit of God who is the communicator of God's words. Holy men of God spake as they were moved of God. Who moved them? The Holy Spirit. It was He who imparted to them and planted in them words from the Most High God. It's the Holy Spirit who communicates words of wisdom, words of instruction, words of correction, words of edification, words of encouragement, words of truth. It's the Holy Spirit who opens the minds of our understanding, who reveals Christ to the unbeliever, who reveals truth to all who have ears to hear. It's the Holy Spirit who delights to reveal Christ, His person, His finished work, His loving invitation, his present work and glory, and the fact of his soon coming again. It's the Holy Spirit who focuses on righteousness as he fulfills his work and ministry in this world, identified none other than, by none other than Christ, as he said he would reprove the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. So it's my firm belief that as we make our way through Scripture, that the preacher is the Holy Spirit of God alone. Many have been preachers. Tonight you listen to a preacher. Pulpits like this must and should be filled with a preacher. But tonight surely you don't come to hear me. And on any given Sunday you don't come to hear a preacher because every time the Word of God is open, it must be, it should be the desire of the child of God. It should be the desire of you to hear the preacher and to allow him to work in your life. Come back to chapter 19 in the book of Samuel. Notice there at the end of verse 1 the predicament that David finds himself in. For Saul spake 
to Jonathan his son, to all his servants, that they should kill David. Look at verse 18. This is David's response. He fled. Now step back from the detail of this chapter and survey the overall context. David has been anointed to be king over Israel in chapter 16. But he knew right now wasn't his time. In chapter 17, he had exercised great faith in God and won the victory over Goliath. And in chapter 18, we see that David now becomes part of Saul's household. And the Bible records in chapter 5 of the chapter, or verse 5, sorry, of the chapter 18, that David went where Paul sent him. And David behaved himself wisely. But despite all of this, as we make our way through chapter 18, and now as we come into chapter 19, events take a turn for the worse. For in rage and in jealousy, Saul turns on David. And verse 9 of chapter 18 tells us this, that Saul eyed David from that day and forward. Everything had changed. In verse 11 of chapter 18, we see that he also tries to fix him to the wall with the javelin. Now notice four times in chapter 18, the passage tells us that David behaved himself wisely. Verse 5, it's recorded wisely. Verse 14, it's recorded wisely in all his ways. Verse 15, it's recorded very wisely. And verse 30, it's recorded more wisely. Worth noting as well in chapter 18 is this, that the testimony of God's word was that God was very much with David in these days. In verse 5, he was accepted in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul. In verse 12, Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him. Verse 14, the Lord was with him. Verse 28, and Saul saw and knew that the Lord was with David. And so here we have an account in chapter 18 that despite a very evident change of fortune, as it were, a change of circumstances, a change of reality, a change of standing in the household of Saul, yet the Bible records David behaved himself wisely and that the Lord was with David. Nevertheless, this trouble comes. Saul is absolutely intent on taking his life. And as the threat grows and the possibility of that happening, that occurring, grows, we notice that David's actions and David's reactions change also. His actions and his reactions become more removed from the actions that we read of whenever he was in the field and the lion and the bear came in. Because when faced with such a foe, the Bible tells us he stood up, he believed in God. God delivered them into his hand. 
They're removed also, far removed also, from the battlefield in the valley of Elah. When as a little lad he comes before the mighty giant, but believes in God and allows God to work in that moment, in him and through him. And so chapter 18 dictates to us very much a change of circumstances, a downward spiral, not only in the relationship that he had with Saul, not only in the standing that he enjoyed in the household of Saul, but also in his own actions, his own reactions. And here in the verse 18 of chapter 19, he flees, he goes. Now, this is not, mistake me not, this is not a message of despair. This is very much a message of hope that's contained in all of these scriptures. Because the Bible tells us that as David flees, he flees to Samuel. He flees to the place where the man of God was. He flees to the place where indeed the presence of God was. You might ask yourself, well, why did David do such a thing? Why did he flee? And why did he in that moment choose to flee to Samuel, to the place where the school of prophets was located? And I suggest to you that it was all so that he could hear the preacher. Because the Bible tells us he told Samuel all that Saul had done. There was a very evident burden upon his heart. There was a very evident need in his life. And standing in that moment and weighing up the situation that he found himself in, he realized that the only remedy, the only proper course of action was to go to the preacher to go to the one who was in that time the very voice of God to the people. Now come back to chapter 16 for a moment and notice something with me there. Because we're seeking to tie all of this together with our thoughts on the Holy Spirit himself being the preacher. But notice in chapter 16 as we come to the time whenever he's anointed to be king over Israel, it says, Samuel says unto Jesse, Are all thy children here? And he said, There remaineth yet the youngest. Behold, he keepeth the sheep. Samuel said unto Jesse, Send and fetch him, for we will not sit down till he come hither. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and withal of a beautiful countenance and goodly to look to. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. I notice there very clearly in the verse 13, the Bible tells us the Spirit of the Lord, the Holy Spirit, was with David from that day forward. And what's significant about that? Well, remember, this is a time in Scripture when the Holy Spirit came upon men. 
You and I enjoy the knowledge of the Holy Spirit within us each and every day. And all of us who profess the Lord Jesus Christ, well, there's no difference between us in that regard. The Holy Spirit is in us. But in Old Testament times, the Holy Spirit very much came upon men, specific men, men of God's choosing, individuals for whom God had a calling, had a purpose, had a role to fulfill, and so he empowered them. He put his mark of favor upon them. And here in this moment, as Samuel anoints David, it's a real remarkable moment. It's a significant moment. Why? Because in that moment, the Spirit of the Lord comes upon David and the favor of the Lord rests upon him from that day forward. And the significance of all of this is further amplified whenever we read verse 14 because it tells us the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. Remember, Saul was anointed to be king. God had commanded Samuel to do so, and so the favor of God rested upon Saul in a time. But because of Saul's rebellion, because of Saul's wickedness, because of Saul's disobedience to God and the sin that was in his heart, and because God then deemed it necessary to see him removed from the throne, the Spirit of the Lord departed from him. The favor of the Lord was no longer upon him. Rather, God's favor rested on David. The Holy Spirit was with David. We could take time to read through chapter 17 and 18, and we'd see clear evidence, oh, so clear evidence of how God's Spirit was with David, how it equipped him, how it empowered him, how it even endeared him to Saul and to the people. But now coming into this chapter 19, we also see once more that the Spirit of God continues to be with David. For remember in chapter 18, the circumstances have changed. He now has a life that is under threat. King Saul has a desire to see him killed and to see him removed. And so he's facing all of these difficulties, all of these challenges. But nevertheless, the Spirit of the, of the living God remains with him. You only have to read verse 8 where it tells us war uh, was known once again. David went out, fought with the Philistines, and slew them with a great slaughter, and they fled from him. Evidence once more, the favor of God, the Spirit of God was upon him. And so Scripture testifies from chapter 16 and onwards that the reality from the vantage point of heaven was that the Spirit of God was with David. But David's actions, especially in the verses 18 and following in this chapter, remind us that in David's mind, there's a different understanding. There's high points in chapter 16 and 17, low points in chapter 18 and 19. But nevertheless, David came to the understanding that the presence of God was no longer with him as it was in the days whenever he stood before the Philistine. He perceived that something in him wasn't right. Indeed, I suggest that he was unaware that God's Spirit was with him. He was not conscious of the nearness and the presence of God. And so he gets up from where he was and he flees to the place where the man of God was. 
place that as we've read in the remainder of chapter 19, where it was also very evident that the Spirit of God was there. And so he comes to Samuel, and he tells Samuel what his issues and concerns were. And Samuel tells him to abide in Naoth. It was at Naoth, I believe, that David is reminded of the power and of the presence of the Holy Spirit of God. Not only in his life, but also in a visible way amongst the lives of others. And through Samuel, God's hurled here on earth, God's messenger to the people in those days, God was surely reminding David, I'm still with you. My spirit has not left you. And living in the conscious awareness of the Spirit of God in your own life is all that you need to overcome these problems. And to see my plan fulfilled in your life, you just need to be aware that I am with you. Tell me tonight, is that not also what you need more than anything? Is that not also what I need? Is that not also what is most needed by this assembly? A fresh evidence of, a fresh demonstration of, the work of the Holy Spirit of God in our day and generation. Tell me tonight, when was the last time that you were very conscious of the Holy Spirit at work in your life? When was the last time that you sensed and you heard the preacher speak? When was the last time that you responded in that moment? Speak, Lord, for your servant heareth. Has it been days? Has it been months? Has it been years? And so we come together. And we moan, and we complain, and we fuss, and we quibble all over why this isn't happening, why that isn't happening, over why God isn't saving souls, over why so often our prayer meetings are labored. And at times, men and women who once were so active in prayer are now silent and stoic. Over why on a Sunday there's a real evident lack of exercise and thankfulness at the Lord's table. And even here tonight, undoubtedly, there are those who think, what is he getting at? Who is he getting at? And all the while, 
the Spirit of God is saying, you. It's you he's getting at. It's you that the preacher wants to speak to tonight. And oh, he would desire that you would stop looking around and stop looking up and down and this way and that, and that we all would look within. So I ask you again, when was the last time that you were consciously aware of the Spirit of God at work in your life? When was the last time that you were on your knees doing business with God? When was the last time that believers, not sinners, believers in this assembly lingered in their seats and went through with God after hearing the Word of God preached? Not getting up and rushing and telling everybody about their day or their plans for the weekend, but sitting there and soaking in all that the Spirit of God was applying in the moment and going through with God. No, you may say, well, I'm a private person and I do that at home. And I say, hodgepodge because you're a better spiritual being than me if you can get from that pew to your bedside without quenching the work of the Spirit or without allowing the birds of the air to snatch away the good seed of God's Word. The preacher desires to get through to you tonight. The preacher desires to get through to me. Tonight, I tell you that perhaps it's a true statement that in the life of this assembly, we have filled it with things, good things. Perhaps even we often fill this place with people, needy people. But have we done it all at the expense of having no room for the preacher. Tonight you've come to hear the Word of God. And Sunday by Sunday you come to hear the Word of God. But the preacher stands outside the door and he's knocking. And he's knocking the door of this assembly. But make no mistake about it, he's knocking the individual heart of everybody in this assembly. He's saying, I have a message to proclaim. I have a ministry to fulfill. I have a work that I have to do. But tonight, are you going to hear my voice? Are you going to open the door? Are you going to allow me to come in so that I may sup with you and you with me? 
Tell me tonight, will you allow God the Holy Spirit to give you an MOT tonight? Will you allow him to biff you and bash you? To twist you and turn you? To shine a light into the very darkest corner of your heart? Will you allow the preacher to pass or fail you tonight? Will you allow him to expose your greatest need? Reveal his great provision? Will you go through with God tonight? The reality of that on an individual basis will make that a reality corporately. But I tell you tonight that there is no point fussing and moaning about things in this assembly. There's no point fussing and moaning about what you like and you don't like. There's no point fussing about the lack of God's blessing upon the work and the labors of our assembly if there has been a length of time in your own life that you haven't known the Spirit of God at work. Because if His work is quenched in my life, why would I be surprised that His work is quenched in this place? And if you are unaware of His presence in your life, then how can we ever expect to be aware of his work in this place. I tell you tonight, David teaches me that there is a time when the preacher must be sought. A time when the words of the preacher must be heard. A time when the reminder of the work of the preacher must be experienced. I suggest to you that David, in fleeing to Samuel, knew the realization of three key and much-needed things. Things which you and I need as we face our battles, our troubles, our trials. But things, I remind you, only the Holy Spirit of God alone is able to provide in any meaningful or lasting way. First of these things is counsel. Counsel. Counsel is defined for us as advice or opinion that is able to direct the judgment or conduct of another. Advice or opinion that is able to direct the judgment or the conduct of another. All of us know what it is to give and to receive counsel. And very often in life, the receiving of counsel is a very appropriate and indeed a necessary thing. And I would suggest to you that especially whenever life-defining or life-changing decisions are about to be made, then it's always a good thing to seek counsel. But the reality is that the counsel of those who have a care, a concern, or indeed a charge 
over us is flawed, finite, and faltering. It's flawed simply because we are all flawed individuals. It's finite because we only ever know part of the picture, and we know absolutely nothing about the future. It's faltering because in the moment it has the ability to either defeat us or to make us thrive, both in equal measure. But that is very much dependent on how it is put into action. And then also the reaction that occurs whenever it is put into action, whenever that counsel is put into action. And so human counsel, one to another, it's flawed, it's finite, it's faltering. But David here, remember, doesn't come to any man. He comes to the man of God. He comes to the prophet whom God had identified as his mouthpiece to the nation. He comes to the man whom God had used on previous occasions to communicate truth and wisdom into the lives of others. Now, indeed, no record of their conversation is included here. But it is not at all absurd to believe that here was a moment where Samuel spoke words of importance, where Samuel spoke words of profound insight, where Samuel spoke words in which he attempted to change David's heart and indeed change his perspective. But Samuel sought to guide David in the right path. Believer, tonight, isn't that what the Holy Spirit of God seeks to do in your life? What He seeks to do in my life? As He communicates to our hearts the word of life and guides us according to the truth of God. The book of Proverbs in the chapter 11 and the verse 14 says, Where no counsel is, the people fall. In chapter 12 and verse 15, it tells us the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but he that hearkeneth unto counsel is wise. We all know the well-rehearsed verses in chapter 3 and verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy path. Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3 and the verse 16 that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for proof, for correction, for instruction, guidance, counsel, and righteousness. That the man or the woman of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. The psalmist says in Psalm 119 in the verse 5, Thy word, God's word, is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Luke chapter 12 and the verse 2, the Lord Jesus Christ himself said, the Holy Ghost shall teach you. Then John chapter 16 and the verse 13, even on to say, how be it when he, the spirit of truth is come, he will guide you into all truth. Counsel. Believer, tonight, are you facing challenges beyond your understanding? Are you facing choices that you cannot wrap your head around? Then I encourage you to trust the Spirit of God. 
Open your heart. Open your mind to be guided aright by him. Be sensitive to his promptings. Be obedient to his direction. Seek out the preacher tonight for counsel. You know, there was a time in my life whenever I placed a priority on the words of others. And I can remember very clearly almost 10 years ago that I knew things were coming to a point where I had to make a decision one way or the other. We were in England at the time and the decision would be to commit ourselves to the work and to the ministry there in a full-time capacity for most of our lives or to follow the Lord and to come back home and to seek an opening of his choosing. But you know, despite what I would like you to believe in the moment, I didn't have the heart nor indeed the appetite to seek God as I should. Up until that point in my life, my father was a very wise counselor. I was always able to impart a word that seemed appropriate for the situation that I find myself in. And I can remember that I said in my own heart, I'll speak to my dad. He called me up and he said he had come across and he was going to visit. And I determined in my heart and in my mind in that moment that I would ask him and then act upon what he said. What did God do? He took my father home. And I'm not saying that's the only reason God had many other great purposes and plans because of my father's death. But I tell you in that moment, he ripped away everything else and everyone else that I depended upon. And he removed every crutch that I'd ever lent upon. And he taught me that the only one that I should seek when I need guidance is him alone. The second thing that David knew was comfort. Surely we can identify the absence of peace, the absence of comfort, which would have existed in this moment when he fled. Coming to Samuel, I believe, provided reassurance, provided security, provided shelter, provided sanctuary. David could rest easy for a time. And I believe it true to say that there wasn't another man in the whole of Israel who would allow David to experience that in the same degree or to the same level as he knew in that very moment that he came face to face with Samuel. He knew comfort. Comfort from his presence, comfort from his counsel. You know, believer, tonight it's a lovely thing whenever a brother or sister in Christ comes alongside and puts their arm around us and says, I'm praying for you. Whenever they say, if I can do anything to help, just let me know. Whenever they remind you that they're with you. But surely it's also true to say that all of that peels into insignificance when compared with the ministry and the effect of the ministry of the Spirit of God 
the Spirit of the God of all comfort in our lives. Christ it was who identified this as a key work of the Holy Spirit of God to the New Testament believer. In John chapter 14, he says, I will pray the Father, and he will give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Not as this world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. It's the Holy Spirit of God who is so often referred to as the paraclete. A name derived from the Greek word paraclesis or parakletos. Simply defined as comfort. Simply defined as one called to be alongside another. One who earnestly and unceasingly supports someone. That's what the Holy Spirit of God does for you and I. He it is who never leaves us. He it is who is with us. He it is who is in us, the very hope of glory. He it is who beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. He it is who strengthens us in our inner man. He it is who helpeth our infirmities, who maketh intercessions for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. He it is who reminds us that all things work together for good to them that love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. He it is who reminds us that nothing shall separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So believer tonight, are you perplexed? Are you troubled? Are you discouraged? Are you disheartened? Are you anxious? Are you consumed with worry, fear, guilt, or shame? Seek out the preacher tonight. Hear the preacher tonight. Allow the preacher tonight to minister the grace of the God of all comfort into your heart and into your soul. I told you I would overshoot. And so I'm not a failure, at least in that. In everything else, I admit it. Too much, perhaps, for one night, but I pray that the Lord will minister to our heart. Third thing that David knew was companionship. Sometimes we're tempted to rule these two together. But they're distinct in Scripture. They should be distinct in our minds. Comfort is for a season. Companionship is forever. Coming to Samuel allowed David to know and enjoy the company of the man whom he held in high regard. A man who was an ever-present fixture in Ramah. As David knew trouble, he fled and he went to Samuel. But believer, tonight we don't have to go anywhere. The Holy Spirit is in you right now. The very moment of your salvation, he came to fill, to indwell, and to abide. And yes, tonight trouble may come our way. We don't have to go seeking it. Man that is born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. Yes, discouragements may come for our adversary, the devil, goes about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour, seeking whom he may discourage. 
And yes, doubt may enter in, and like Thomas, you may say, except I shall see, I will not believe. But praise God, he abides. He is with me everywhere, and he knows my every care. I'm as happy as a bird and just as free, for the Spirit has control. Jesus satisfies my soul, since the Comforter abides with me. Counsel, comfort, companionship. The life of David teaches me that there is a time to seek out the preacher. I believe that tonight is that time. Now is that time. Tonight, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Don't rush out of here. Tonight, go through with God. Tonight, allow the preacher to preach and apply the word of God to your heart. Tonight, we rejoice that the same God who was the object of David's faith in the battlefield, the teacher to David's heart in the time of loneliness, the preacher in David's hour of need, is the same God we serve. Because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. May God bless his word to our hearts tonight. We appreciate your attention and your time, and don't take it for granted in any way. But may the Lord truly apply these things to us and use them in our lives and the lives.